Everyone runs away from pain, dodging the truth it comes with. But you are done with limiting your greatness in the shackles of fear. You see fuel in the fire. You taste ripe fruit in real answers. You move to the drums with wild expression. Enter From Pain to Gain, the podcast about identifying pain so you can ultimately gain health and wealth. Because without identifying a mountain, how can you climb it? Here's your host, Ivan Alpha. Welcome back to From Pain to Gain. I'm Ivan, and this is Seamus. Seamus. How you doing, brother? I'm good, man. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. God is good. Amen. Could you do a quick a little introduction of yourself, brother? Uh, well, my name is Seamus Goss. I'm from uh, Atlanta, Georgia, originally from the Bronx, New York, but I've been in Atlanta since 2002. I'm a serial entrepreneur who's kind of focused on real estate and coaching and, and mentoring. But uh, I'm in Atlanta now, like I said, for 20 years. I love Atlanta. And I thank you, Ivan, for welcoming me on. I appreciate that. You're welcome. And you're uh, in the wholesale game pretty big now, right? Is that yes sir how could uh folks reach out to you and get business do deals with you so you can hit me up on instagram it's seamus goss uh on instagram on facebook on youtube on twitter it's my name all the way across i was lucky enough to get the handle nobody had it so you could just hit me up dm me dm me if you got deals in the atlanta market we're looking to buy you know we're trying to take down probably five or ten properties per month so Make sure you know your numbers. If you know your numbers and you got a deal, I'll take it from you. Awesome. And I just, I forget always to kind of encourage my, my guests more and more, but I've actually seen multiple of your videos and content go viral. And, you know, I, I love my friends. They're so humble. They don't speak about that stuff, but it's true. <laughs> like you guys are like superstars. So I just wanted to touch on that. So <laughs> let's go ahead and jump right in. What let's living... Go all in looks like Seamus we you said had, what living all in looks like yeah we had lunch last week and you mm -hmm. were talking about your testimony and I was like this is the perfect topic for Seamus <laughs> this is amazing yes, yes yes I think I think when you when you talk about living all in it's trying to find your full potential like the better you mm -hmm. you know I know that you know, on a journey, everybody, I'm a little bit older, you know, I'm 49 years old, but I've been through a lot. I've been through the ups and the downs and, you know, I'm always striving to try to find the better me. You know, I used to ask my son all the time. I'm like, Hey, you want to be good? He said, yeah. I was like, but why not be great? Mm -hmm. You know? So it's definitely trying to find, you know, your peace and, you know, a lot of people, what they think is once they make more money, all their problems are going to come to an end. And it's, that's, that's not true. Like you can make money and still feel unfulfilled, you know? So like with me, I'm, I'm on a, a, a journey right now to, to, to find my inner peace and to just become the best version uh, of me. Amen to that, man. And uh, we could go ahead and get rolling on what the, the outline is. So to remind everybody, the CAGE acronym is complacency, atrophy, guilt, and lastly, the escape of it all. This is kind of the procedure to move through life in a healthy way. And it's not always going to be easy. Uh, Seamus, I'm sure you could speak to that, you know, to break dudes to the next level, to uh, feel like you're closest to God, like you've ever been. 
It's not going mm-hmm. to be a walk in the park. It's not going to be like, la, 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 la. Everything at is all. fine. <laughs> at all. There is some serious work that has to happen. And before we get started, I'm going to touch on this character from the Bible, who I feel is like just on fire for doing God's bidding. And we touched on this too, but this sort of guy I heard about a few weeks ago from my wife is uh, he, he came to be King Jehu in the Old Testament. And, you know, just put your children away because what I'm about to read is pretty violent and gruesome, but he's ultimately doing the, the Lord's work. So mm-hmm. in one example, King Jehu was literally going after Jezebel. Uh, she was the wife of one of the kings and the king mm-hmm. had been lured into all sorts of nastiness. We'll just put it simply like that by her. And she was always like seducing other people, other men, women, all the above you could think of. It's uh, ultimately a spirit and this spirit could take over anybody. So King Jehu, God's work was to kill her. And in this particular verse, it was not so, um, not so nice. In fact, sometimes God refers to King Jehu as too violent. Like he took it overboard, like cool it down, homie. <laughs> In this one example, he approached her tower as she was putting on her makeup because she knew a guest was coming over. And she told her three eunuchs that served her, basically, throw her down. And he spoke with such authority and they were terrified of him so much that they literally grabbed her and just threw her down, like down a tower. And she died, blood splattering all over the place. After that... He went in and drank, and then he said, take that cursed woman and bury her, for she was a king's daughter. First of all, there's a lot to unpack there. This dude just basically approved of murdering a woman, well, an evil spirit of a woman, Mm -hmm. and proceeded to tell them to throw her down, went and grabbed a drink like it was nothing, like this is just a regular day for me. And then was still somewhat polite and said to bury her. She's still kind of royalty. Yeah. <laughs> just, just move on. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is just normal business, right? And I think this could be a good a place to start and talk about complacency. Um, because mm-hmm. this, this guy really made a new normal for himself and how he lived his life, right? In particular, mm-hmm. we, in context of the Lord. Uh, he didn't really allow complacency to his life. He just kind of heard what he needed to do, moved into it, not really questioning or thinking about it. Uh, mm-hmm. Seamus, do you want to talk to that sort of belief system? Yeah, you, you know, you know, it's funny to to touch on his character. You know, my wife used to always tell me, like, why, why, why do you say this? And I remember watching uh, the movie The Godson. And Jesus was standing on the hill with Abraham and they was getting ready to destroy Sagamora, and he sent two angels in. They had, I mean, and one time I went to even try to buy like a red cloak to pray in it and stuff like that. And I was <laughs> like, no, that might be a little bit too much. Uh, but I told her, I say, I told her, I said, I see myself that when God returns to come and get his people, he's not going to take me. And she was like, why would you say that? I was like, because he needs warriors. He needs people that can stay down here and guide the people 
and then he may come back. So like his two main angels was in there to get Abraham's, I think his nephew or his family members out, but they had to kill people along the way to do it. So it, it's funny that you, you, you said that because I, I look at myself as like, okay, when God comes, he's like, Seamus, you got tough skin. You've been through a lot. I'm going to leave you down here for another decade or two because you got to guide these people, help these people, but the, these other people. And I told my wife, and I'm okay with that. I, I'm okay with that. I am a warrior. I'm from, I'm from the South Bronx. I've been through a lot. Uh, so to touch on the subject about not being, well, complacency, I think that when, I think that when you, when you get to a point in your life where you're about to break through, whether that's spiritually, financially, whatever it is, I think that you hit a lot of barriers. Hmm. And I think in most cases, what happens with people being complacent is that they have in their mind, you know, it's a, I call it, the, it's a safety net. Like people think, okay, I got this job, you know, I know I've been working here for 20 years, 30 years, I'm going to retire and, and, and get my pension and things like that. But then when something like COVID hits and your job is no longer there and the entire society shifts, now you're in a position where you, you, you can't afford to pay your bills and you have to add a you know, if you're lucky enough to catch on at an early age, that's good. But if you're a bit older, if you're in your, your 40s or your 50s or your 60s, it's kind of hard to start all over again in a new career. It can be done, but you're like, okay, I'm 60. Like, <laughs> what am I, you know, according to statistics, you, you know, a man lives, I think, at 76 or 80. Let's say it's just 80 or 90. You got at 60 years old, you got 20 years to try to make money and, and restart and relaunch your life. But then, what mind boggles me is when you, you talk to somebody and they, they say, well, I started working at this job when I was 20. I worked until I was 65 and 45 years. And then I, I was able to enjoy my life. Like at 65, 70 years old, what else can you do at that age? Like you're not hiking. You're not jumping out of planes. Like your body nice is not exactly. Your <laughs> body is not functioning at that. Like you got to do those things at an early age. So like for me, entrepreneurship, was the only way like I only I think I told you I only had probably like six jobs in my entire life and none of them last longer than 90 days I was like I was the worst employee yeah there's two things that, that come up for me when you're talking about that stuff number one you were not complacent at a very young age too you remember you remember you shared with me that you had a family member very close to you that you mm -hmm. decided to just grab all their booze and drugs and just proceed to throw it <laughs> in the, the toilet yeah <laughs> yeah, that was that was my mother. Uh, before my mother passed away, she used to get upset with me because I used to come in the house and she used to try to hide her beer. And I would find the beer, pour it down the toilet, cigarettes, break them because I knew physically what it was doing to her, you know, because I was the last child. I'm, I'm the youngest. So I was the last one that was at home with my mother. And, you know, my mother, you know, she, she was a survivor. She was loyal. Uh, we have, you know, I got two sisters and one brother. She had four kids from, from the same man. When she broke up, you know, when, when he left her, I never seen her date another man ever in 20 some years. Like she was loyal to him and she was like, I'm not dating no more. That's, that's it. So, you know, she, she, she tried her best. She definitely, you know, went through a lot because, you know, my mother is white and my father is black and they dated in the sixties. 
which was not good. You know, it, it was not good. You know, you still had racism flaring up in the South and, and areas and at, in, in the 60s. And it might have even been the late 50s. They, uh, you know, you had a biracial couple dating. And then my mother being white, living in the South Bronx. Like, I rarely ever seen white kids. I didn't see white kids and Asian kids and everything on a daily basis until, you know, I was moved up to Spring Valley, New York. But yeah, since I was young, like even, you know, and I, I don't know if I told you this, but, you know, in my building in the Bronx, it was 36 apartments. And the majority of them was, was, was drug spots, right? Uh, so what I would do is I would go to the door of the, the, of the, the guys or the females that owned it. It was like, listen, if you need something from the store, I can save you money because if you leave, you know, you could lose a customer. I'm thinking business and I'm making $10 a day, $20 a day at eight, nine years old. And my mother's like, where are you, where are you getting this money from? <laughs> and then I would get up early because I knew the kids in school wouldn't get up early enough. And we had a bodega on the store on, on the block. So I would cross the street, go into the store buy like a hundred to show you my age. They had penny candies. Candy was penny. So I would buy like 200, 300 penny candies, go to school. And then during school, when school was in, in, uh, when school was going on, they wouldn't let you cross the street. So I knew, I knew kids at lunchtime was going to have a, a sugar rush. And I was like, Hey, I got candy. It's five cent though. My mother was like, how are you getting this money? So I kind of grew up with that spirit. And I think what pushed me to be an entrepreneur was the fact that we didn't have a lot. Like my crib was a drawer. Like my mother, I slept in a dresser that she pulled out and put blankets and everything in there. That's how I slept. So we didn't have a lot. Like clothes wise, I was always one getting made fun of. Oh, you know, you got holes in your jeans. You got the old sneakers. You know, so when I got to an age where I could make sense of how to make money, I was like, man, I'm just going to I'm just going to hustle, go to the store, buy candy. And even when I moved with my sister to Spring Valley, New York, I was shoveling snow, got my got a newspaper out. And, you know, at 14 years old is when they give you, what I guess, is the green card where you can work. Man, 14 on the day I was like, I got my green card. Now I could legitimately get a paycheck nice. uh, from somebody. But yeah, from I got to touch on that, that penny candy. A lot of people don't realize whether it's a house or a piece of candy, that's a five X return. You just exactly a penny to five pennies. That's amazing. Exactly. So yeah. if I spend a hundred dollars, I'm getting 500 at eight years old, nine years old. We're talking yeah. about in the seventies or the eighties. Yeah. That was thousands. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, <laughs> you getting all the honeys at the playground. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, so I wanted to touch on something at the beginning of your point recently. You said uh, corporations, you know, at the end of 65, you're not really living your life. And in the midst of building that corporate ladder, building to that corporate ladder top, you're, you're not really getting a return. Um, and I wanted to talk, touch on that because I've seen a lot of executives, like people were that were like four or five levels above me when I worked at corporate like at Turner Broadcasting, I, I uh, had executives I met with on a regular basis. And what I've noticed in the last few years as mergers happened, business takeovers happened, these executives have been out of work for years. They've been yep. out and it, I just wanted to touch on that because corporations only care about you as far as they could throw you, mm -hmm. right? 
they have a need for you, a business need. And when they're done with you, it, that's just it. And the, the likelihood of the same business, uh, you know, a major five fortune 50 company needing you mm -hmm. uh, at another business is pretty low, especially yep. when we're facing massive industry shifts like we're seeing now. TV is going down and I foresee in 10, 20 years, even the major trucking business is going to go down with, you know, automated everything. Uh, even yeah. the technology sector I was working in, I feel that's going to go down drastically too, because there's only so many people you need working on a web website that does just about the same thing over and over again. At some mm -hmm. point that's going to be automated too. So a lot of people thinking that, Oh, I'm just going to keep living this pretend American dream of working a corporate job that pays me decent. Even if it's 75 to 150,000, I'm just going to keep, you know, running up credit card bills and hoping for the best mm -hmm. that I'll keep getting a promotion to offset these losses. It's not going to happen. They're just, the, the hammer's going to come down to you some way if you don't prepare ahead of it. And that's only through investment, through education, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, 100%. I, education makes me think of something. Um, I, I had this one person that, you know, initially was my student, but when I told them, hey, if you want me to be more intimate in training you, I would just need X amount more money. And I was like, this is my time. You know, I'm not going to just be mm -hmm. spending time on everybody willy nilly. But he got offended. He thought that that wasn't fair. He feels like a lot of real estate uh, investors, the big guys just want to charge. But I was like, and I was initially kind of thinking, uh, maybe I need to give him some slack. But then I was thinking, dude, my first two years in the investment game, I made $1.3 million net. Like what? What are you talking about? Like, I should be, this is the lowest amount I can charge. Like, this is ridiculous. Exactly. Exactly. And so I just wanted to touch on that because it's, but it, it's funny. It's the funny what you said last year alone, I spent a hundred thousand dollars on mentors and education. Mm -hmm. And my buddies was like, why would you spend that much money? I said, because they're where I want to be. And they know something that I don't know. I think that's, uh, uh, issue with new investors and just new entrepreneurs is because I get the DMs all the time. Hey, would you coach me when you mentor me? As soon as you say, hey, you know, book a call, the call is 500 bucks. Oh, I, I, I didn't want to do that. I just wanted you to help me out. My time is valuable. My yeah. time is valuable. You can't walk into no, you can't walk in Apple and say, hey, I want the new iPhone, but $13 is a little bit too much. I'm going to, you know, I'll get back to you on it. You have to pay. And then especially if somebody, I think that's one of the main things that that will hold somebody back is when they feel like they don't have to pay for education. Now I'm not saying spend hundreds of thousands. You got to do your due diligence, vet the people you're working with. But I mean, when somebody charge, I know for the coaches that I hire, my minimum is 25 to $50,000 for a six month coaching program. Mm -hmm. So when I tell people that they're like, Oh, I would never pay that. I'm like, that's why you continue to make the same amount of money you make and you work in the same job and you're always complaining about, you don't make enough money. That's yeah. why. You Which know? brings us naturally to atrophy. When you're used to this normal of not pushing yourself, not going to the next bar. I remember uh, having lunch with another friend of mine uh, a couple weeks ago and he said, uh, Towards the end, you know, we maybe we should switch the topics a little bit. We touched a lot of heavy stuff. 
And I was thinking, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. But how many more millions of people have that sort of thinking, right? That I'm just going to live my life day to day, not having heavy conversations. I'm going to actively avoid them because they're uncomfortable to me. And that, I think, is probably a, a good majority of us, you know, mm -hmm. uh, in the United States that don't want to have those tough conversations, don't want to confront the hammer that's coming down at them, whether financially, emotionally, all of the above. Uh, what's your thoughts on that, Seamus? I think that as a family leader, whether it's a male or a female, it's your obligation to change the directory for your family. You know, we talked about that. I think in every family you have what's called the one. It's the one person that everybody thought was crazy that went totally against the grain and, and they broke through. I think that it's selfish for you to be an intelligent individual and don't realize that you have to make way for your kids and your grandkids and your great, great grandkids. So, uh, and, and that, like I said, that's most of America. That's why I don't know the exact number, but I think 80% or 85% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck and have less than a thousand dollars in their bank account. If something happens to you, you don't have nothing to pass on to your kids. Like you don't even have life insurance to get them out of, you know, and, and a lot of time debt gets passed on to the kids or to the wife. I think that you have to try to figure out how to change it. Cause all it takes is that one person in your family that breaks the curse, becomes a millionaire. And then you, in, in your family, you then have that person like, Oh, this is my uncle. He he's a successful businessman. He's into real estate. If you're smart, you're going to say, Hey, uncle Ivan, what do you do for a living? Can you show me what you do? I see you driving nice cars and you own real estate. I don't want to work at whatever job I have. So I think, I think it's uh, a, a mentality where they, like you said, they're, they, they go on doing the same thing over and over again. And they think that, you know, hopefully, you know, the company is going to give them a break and they're going to get a severance package. In most cases, when you get to the 50s or 60s, and let's say the cap for your position is 100 grand, and you get this college kid that comes in with more energy, they're going to start him at 50K and they're going to cut you. Mm -hmm. That's what they do. Like they don't sit there. And, and, I mean, some all companies ain't like that. Some companies you can retire with, but for the most, most part, you're going to, you're going to, the hammer's going to come down on you and then you're stuck with enough money to pay bills for a year or two. And now you got to create an entirely new career. And I think COVID showed people that because even with my previous company, which was Uniforms, we did it for 16 years. Took it to seven figures. I was like, this is a recession proof business. No matter what happens in society, little Bobby is going to get his football play, paid for or basketball. And when COVID hit, everything stopped. And I was like, wow, like that made me change the way I thought about making money. Like I, I, I you know, I, I got into the mindset where I have to make money from my cell phone or my laptop. I have to be able to operate my company from these two items that one, I could travel anywhere in the country. Like when me and my wife, I told you, we took a 42 day vacation. All I had to do is open my laptop, answer some emails, send out some documents and do whatever I had to do. But I continued, I could, I could close it and then hop on the boat or whatever like that. I think that you have to get comfortable with becoming uncomfortable because mm -hmm. on the other side of, you know, your comfort zone is everything that you desire, you know? Yeah. Is there a time where you 
that maybe it was that shirt business in pandemic. But is there a time when you decided uh, or you realized you were in a period of atrophy in your life? And, you, and what did you do to get out of it? So it, basically, you know, it, it's funny that you say that. It's a great question. We ran the uniform company for 16 years. We ran it for 16 years. And the last year or two that we, we had the company, I didn't even want to go in. Like I would tell my wife, you get up and you go, I don't want to go no more because I was a creative person and I felt like I wasn't using my creativity. And I think when you're a creative person and you don't use it, it leads to insanity. Mm-hmm. If, especially if you got all these ideas going on. And you know, as entrepreneurs, we get a new idea every day. Oh, I can <laughs> sell water. I can sell this. I can sell that. <laughs> yeah. It happens every day. So when I got to that point and how I knew that I was there, I really stopped caring about customer service. Like I was giving people $50,000 checks back. I'm like, take your money back. I don't want your business. Mm. That's not good. When somebody comes in to spend 50K and you're at a 50% profit margin, you're like, you could take your money back, right? <laughs> that, at that point, I knew I'm like, this is it. I can't, you know, I can't do it no more. And to be honest, I don't, I don't know what it was that really clicked for me. I literally came in one day and told my wife, we're closing. She was like, what? I was like, we're shutting the company down. I didn't tell nobody. I'm like, I just can't do this no more. And literally that week we closed the company. Now we closed the doors. We cut the phones off, everything. I think what some people uh, get caught up in is you can be an entrepreneur and then you can be a CEO. You can be an entrepreneur with just an expensive job, right? Where you're working 80, for instance, you know, we had took seven years, eight years when we didn't even take a vacation and we're doing 80 hour weeks, hundred oh hour weeks. Gosh. And we have, we didn't take a vacation. So I think, you know, to become a CEO is where you literally can step away from your company and a company operates without you. If you don't have a company where you can leave for a month or two and your company operates, you don't have an, you don't have a business, you have a hobby or an expensive job. And I feel like, you know, in the grace of, for the grace of God, we were able to pay our bills and, 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 and feed our family for that period of time. But my conversations I would have with God was like, you put me here to change the legacy. That's what you put me here for. So I have to figure it out, you know, and we literally just closed the company down. And what was funny is that was in 2016 from 2016 to 2018. Those were probably two of my lowest years in my life because I felt, you know, I left my family down. And I'm talking about we had townhomes, uh, houses, jet skis, brand new cars, and we lost it all. Mm. It was like back to, you know, nothing. So Mm -hmm. I was humbled by that. But I feel like in those two years, it was two of the years that I felt I got closer to God. That was the first time I actually opened up a book. And the first book I read was the four hour wake week, work week, with Tim Ferriss. And I'm like, this guy's making fun of me. I'm like, cause everything he said he was going to do in a book exactly is what happened to me. And then I realized from 17 to 44, I never read a book. Mm. I just basically grinded grind mode my i'm like man i know how to make cash you put me anywhere i'll sell water to a whale it doesn't make a difference <laughs> you know and i really just i didn't i wasn't educating myself and, and when i started reading books i realized that you know when you read books especially uh if you read business books and, and personal development these are books that 
successful entrepreneurs put all of their gems in and you literally can go through it in eight hours and pick up one thing, just one thing, you know, so four hour work week and then, you know, traction. So I think, I think reading is what kind of pulled me out of that mindset. But when I shut the company down, I definitely went into a depression mode was like, this is it. I got to get a job. I said I was never going to do this. And so I, I don't, to, to answer your question, I don't really know what it was that pulled me out other than God saying it's time for you to move on. And they say you're not supposed to wish nothing away, but I wish that company away. And when we closed down, I was like, well, you know, we're doing a million a year. We could close down work from the home. We'll still do three or 400,000 and make a hundred grand. We did 50,000 the next year. Like nobody would call us back. It was like, we disappeared off the earth, face of the mm-hmm. earth. Mm-hmm. So that was God's way of saying, hey, let me crumble this, because if I don't crumble this and I don't bring this down, you're never going to reroute and get on another path. You're going to be complacent and you're going to stay on that journey, which is not the journey I want you on. You know? Yeah. Well, let me give you an alley-oop to the answer, because it's the next part of the outline. It's guilt. Okay. And everything you just described, dude, you grieved the business. You felt bad about customers. You didn't want to take on customers. You, you allowed that emotional state to healthily work through instead of just pushing mm-hmm. those emotions down and working yeah. those hours more and more. But what I think was also towards the end of that, you mentioned in your lunch, which was pretty powerful, was um, there came a point to where you did work through those emotions and wanted to start multiple businesses again. But you said that God specifically mm-hmm. said, stop. Yeah. Yeah. What, what did he tell you next? So it was, this was no, uh, October of November of 2021. And I was in a, you know, in a good financial position, you know, I was like, we're, we're going to get an 18 wheeler truck. We was going to relaunch the uniform company. We had two private label brands. I was just like, you know what? It's time to diversify. Let me open up four or five different things. And I'm sitting in my home office and I get up and I hear God say two years ago, you asked me to be in a certain financial position that you are now in for real estate and you're doing everything other than real estate. I literally continued my steps into the bedroom, told my wife, Hey, the trucks, the store, everything else has to be on hold. God wants me to do the real estate and I need six months. And I literally went on Instagram, reached out to my guys, Carlos and uh, Carlos and Sal and Alex and them. That's part of all in, in Arizona. And they was doing an event called momentum, which to backtrack a little, their first event, Freedom, I went to was in 2019. That's when I really understood and because they broke everything down when it came to wholesaling. And I'm a KPI guy. Like, I need details. I see stuff like the matrix. Like, show me numbers. How many leads to get how many deals? What does this cost? And I didn't even go VIP or nothing. I was like, I barely could afford the ticket. I actually used my rent money to get out there because I remember trying to negotiate <laughs> using my negotiation skills with the lady at the counter to get some type of AAA discount or something. Uh, and then momentum was the next step up. It was it was it was more expensive. And I called them. They was like, they're having it. I bought a ticket. I went there and I bought into their mentorship. Right. But it was and, and, and it's funny is when I was leaving the hotel, I mean, when I was leaving their office. All I, and I learned that, you know, I got God on the left shoulder and the devil on the right shoulder. I need to know whose voices are what. Mm-hmm. And I hear you're not going to spend all this money on mentorship. You can't afford it. It's not worth it. And I was like, yeah, yeah, you're right. Okay, I, I can't spend this amount of money on mentorship and everything. And as soon as 
Carlos got up and started talking about the mentorship, I was the first one. I'm like, I'm in, <laughs> right? And 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 I tell the story and, and exactly like that, everybody laughs. But I was like, I realized that it was the devil telling me don't do it because that was going to push me to the next level. And God was like, do it. You have the money, do it. You're here. You asked to be here, you know, almost two and a half years ago. And you're in this position. Even now, uh, I got a call from a big data provider yesterday and uh, they want to, they want me to help them with data and skip tracing and build like a private brand and everything for me and everything. And they was like, man, like they was like, we watched you on Instagram. Like you grew, you know, and, and we seen you grow over these years. And some of the things that I'm involved with now are things that I seen three or four years ago. That I was like, man, I need, I wish I was in this position. I wish these was my friends. I wish I could get into this mentorship and this mastermind and I'm there now. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it's definitely yeah, you a transformation. You are in regular, well, one of those events you were in a meeting with a lot of heavy hitters and you were actually yeah. praying for that, right? Yeah. Oh, it's funny. It's a, it's a buddy of mine posted a picture about two years ago, two and a half years ago, and it was a mastermind. And I remember looking at the picture. I'm like, man, these are my, I need to get to know these guys. These need to be my friends. And fast forward three months ago, I was out in San Diego and they was like, hey, come on over. And the, the guys was there. And, they, and as I come in, they're like, hey, Seamus, we, we know we follow you on Instagram and everything. And I was like, wow. But just to be in that room, I was just in the moment because I just seen it years prior. I was like, I need to get in the room with these guys. And, and you're there now. So that definitely, I mean, and they was talking astronomical numbers that I don't even want to mention, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but they was talking big numbers and I'm like, is that even a number? Uh, but, you know, just, just, just is, to see it. Yeah, exactly. But what I realized is that God put me in that room because that's where I was supposed to be and develop those relationships. Yeah. And to have, to be in that room and make those conversations normal produces in you a, uh, uh, almost subconscious gap to be like, oh, yeah, this is this is something a gap I need to close. What's the things yeah. I I need to close? There's a a rap lyric that makes me uh, uh, that makes me think of that. I can't remember who the artist is, but it says something like, all of a sudden, when I started making millions, I started to become good at math. You know, <laughs> you yeah yeah yeah, yeah things yeah, just yeah. connect exactly. automatically. Exactly. Uh, one even starts to become more of an accountant by nature when you, you know, earn those sorts of uh, dollars. But there's something else I wanted to touch on. And uh, to speak to that on my experience. So the first time I had kind of multi-million dollar com conversations was actually when I just invested about 30 grand into a warehouse, uh, three warehouse specifically, adding bathrooms to them. Uh, I was a part of that. It was not you know, anything close to the end result of when they sold it, but I was a, kind of a small partner in the renovation of it. And I realized, even though the typical person wouldn't invest in that because you're not directly an owner, you're kind of more doing it alone. It's kind of a kind of short-term investment return on it. Mm -hmm. I, what I realized was I'm building a relationship. I'm building experience. Who else in the commercial sector that has three warehouses is going to allow me to manage a project of such scale, you know, yep. a venue that brings in concerts where uh, P. Diddy is coming in on a regular basis to, you know, hold, um, to reserve that space for concerts and all sorts of things like that. 
like I, I look at things not just in terms of a financial return, but also what's the relationship return, right? 100%. And, yeah. And that also made me think of why I jumped into improv, but that's another in- topic entirely. Yeah. But I got it. No, I, I, to- I totally agree. I totally agree. A lot of times there's things that I did that it, I wasn't going to make the money I wanted to make off of it, but it put me in a room. It put me to develop a relationship to do more business later on in life. Mm-hmm. So I agree 100%. Cool, man. Well, we got through the guilt part, I think. Mm-hmm. Let's go ahead and move on to escape. How do you escape mm-hmm. not living all in? <laughs> you said, how do I escape? Not. Is there times where you didn't want to be all in, but you kind of just wanted to? I guess procedurally, we had to work through the first three steps to get to, to wanting to escape. One example of that, I guess, in your life would be you didn't want to live in that bed growing up. You didn't want to have the old shoes, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was kind of your motivator. But what procedurally kind of looked, what did it look like towards the end of that in your childhood? I, I think it, it be, you know, in the beginning, it was definitely, you know, I, I don't, you know, I don't want to live here. I want to live better. I want to have better things, nicer, n- nicer cars and nicer houses. And then I think what wind up happened to me when I got older was I realized that it was, it was my duty to change everything for everybody in my family, not just my kids, you know, my sisters, my brothers, their kids and their kids. So I think it became more in the beginning it was me. Yeah. I just want new shoes. I want new sneakers. I want to have the freshest kicks. And then it became, well, how do I get my family to understand how money works, how to invest money and how to break that, that, that cycle. So I think it was really definitely, you know, knowing that my wife counted on me, knowing that my kids count on me, I think that's what kind of pushed it was, you know, I became, I, I feel like I had this more obligation to, uh, like I said, to change the trajectory for everybody in my family, not just my immediate kids, like their kids and, and their kids, you know? Was there a, a connection to that? Remember you told me something like a, your friend visited where you lived and he saw a dead body and you said that was normal to yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. A, a buddy of mine, Reggie, he was he was getting into some trouble in upstate New York and he was like, Hey, let me come stay with you. So he comes stays with me for like a week. And in that week, the first three days, two people got murdered on my block. And he was like, I'm going back home. <laughs> he was like, this is not normal yeah. for me. It was normal. I think I, I seen my first body. I seen somebody get killed when I was about like eight years old, nine years old. I remember me and my best friend, Anthony, he passed away. I remember running in the building and there's blood on the floor and everything. We were like, wow, he got shot. I mean, we seen that at like eight or nine years old. And I was talking to my buddy the other day. He was like, bro, that's not normal. I'm yeah. like, yeah, but I'm, a, I'm, I feel like, you know, that's, that's how I grew up. And, you know, coming from New York and, and it, it could be every, you know, every city and every state has these areas where like it's survival of the fittest. Like you can make one move and, you know, lose your life. Yeah. That's yeah, powerful, he, he man. Going, That's said, I'm crazy. going home. I'm going home. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I can't stay here. I was like, all right. <laughs> you know, did you ever get to hang out with Mob Deep? No, you know, I actually I performed one time and they was performing there up no in Spring way. Valley, New York. Yeah, Prodigy and uh, yeah, Mob Deep. You uh, performed I knew, what? Huh? You performed? Yeah, because I was I was in the music industry for like what? 
like 10 years. I had records on Billboard and everything. You can look it up. Seamus, Big Willie style. That's before Will Smith took it. You know, we talk about 1992. Get out of here. Yeah, I posted a video the other day. How did we not touch on this? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I was in the music industry for like 10 years, from like 1992 to like 2002. And then I kind of walked away from it because I was tired of how the music industry was being ran and artists wasn't getting paid. And I wanted to start, you know, my own distribution company to give artists their rights. So that's that's a whole other story. Okay. So what motivates me to not... uh, be against all in living mm-hmm. is I think it largely talks to my childhood. I was a adult pretty early on. I would say by the age of 10 to 12, I had to be an adult mm-hmm. for the household because there was a lot of things just always just exploding, a lot of yelling. There's a lot of addiction in the household. And so I had to be the guy that was, I, I call it turning on robot mode, Ivan, where you just, I could walk into a nuclear um, power plant, that's about to explode and be like, everybody, everything's fine. Just let's just move through the steps to get it all handled. I, I got trained in that very early on. And that has embedded in me, get ahead of issues as best as you can, as fast as you can. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you could connect to this too. It's pretty hard to trust people. Even the, It's harder to trust people even closer to you. <laughs> yep. 100%. Yeah. Working through that a lot in the last few years. Um, but what that was crazy about what you're saying is what's super hard is especially with family is they just they just they just don't get it they just Mm -hmm. don't get it like you have to literally become that person like i'm worth a hundred million now do you believe me but Mm -hmm. they seen you through the whole journey but they're just like nah it's not gonna happen then when you start making the money like oh well maybe he was on uh, to something. So I, I agree. It, it's hard. It's hard with family. Yeah. And this, this is also another connection point that we're both working on together. We're, we're blind to certain things. And the only way to get ahead of that is to surround ourselves with people that are not blind, that can see yeah. the things, that can also have the courage to call things out. Um, mm-hmm. I'll be honest. There's a lot of things that Stacy brought up that were bad habits of mine in terms of just living out in the public that mm-hmm. I couldn't even see for myself. And I'm, I'm certain now that I look back at it, previous girlfriends saw it, but they didn't have the courage yeah. to just outright and say, hey, that's not cool. And yeah, exactly. as a matter of fact, that's bad for your business. That's bad for our relationship. That should stop. And that wrestling, that overcoming that blindness of what the subconscious mm-hmm. is doing from our childhood, from whatever uh, truths that we've embedded in our souls, that uh, seeing those allows us to escape into something greater. Yeah. And looks like we just have three minutes left before your next meeting. So let's jump right mm-hmm. into like a little summary here. Uh, Seamus, what do you want to end uh, your ending statements on? Well, you know, everybody listening, one, you know, I appreciate you listening, Ivan. I appreciate you having me on. Uh, I think for anybody that's trying to become an entrepreneur, whether you're currently one or not, that you find something that drives you to push past and break limits that nobody else in your family did. I, I really believe that every family has the one. It's that one person that does that. 
live with faith because my, you know, as buddy, my buddy told me the other day, my risk tolerance level is at like 100%. Like I'll go bankrupt and live in my car again. If I believe in it, um, I go all in on everything. Any business I had, I always went all in. So definitely, you know, push yourself, you know, but also take the time uh, to self heal to, like you said, we talk about childhood, you know, things that we grew up with and, we really don't understand, like you said, until somebody points it out to you, like, that's not normal. Like you doing that or you acting like that, that's not normal. So try to find, you know, uh, whatever path it is that's, that's going to get you to where you need to be and, and take that time to like heal yourself, you know, but definitely go all in, you know, shoot, shoot for the moon. I don't say the star, shoot for the moon. And, and I mean, just realize that, you know, people are counting on you. Yeah. And to wrap up, all in is not something that you could necessarily always take to entrepreneurship. I, mm-hmm. I want to say when I was younger and my first real job was McDonald's, I worked all the jobs. I was all in on McDonald's and I did that for a year. I didn't halfway do my job. I'll just be profane. I wasn't half assed in my job. I think mm-hmm. that's repulsive now that I know the Lord well to do your job mm-hmm. half-assed people you're, you're expecting to serve people and you should do that. And I think that's what exactly. makes an entrepreneur great. That's great. Even greater. If they understand servitude, if you mm-hmm. don't understand what it is to be on the bottom rung, how are you going to serve the top and the top rung? So I'll just yep. end on that note. I want to be respectful of your time, Seamus slash big Willie. <laughs> <laughs> awesome name. I'm going to look that up right now. And thanks again. Have Good. a blessed day, bro. You too, bro. Thank you, man. Episode sponsored by Commonwalk, a real estate company dedicated to affordable housing investment. To learn more, visit commonwalk.com.